0: Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, I'm nursing a cold, so I sound to myself a little stuffed up and I might cough a little bit, but hopefully that won't distract from the quality and the importance of this podcast. Um, My guest on today's podcast is my friend Preston Jenkins, who's also joined by his bride, Taryn Jenkins. They were married earlier in um, 2022. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Um, Preston was on episode 237 sharing his story. You could cycle back if you want to hear just a terrific podcast. That was February of 2020, so that's over two years ago. Preston shared that podcast um, as a single gay Latter-day Saint, and now he's a married um, Latter-day Saint and married a beautiful woman, Taryn. Um, I've enjoyed following them on social media and seeing pictures of the wedding reception, I think the engagement and visiting with them for the last half hour in my home. And this is a beautiful, wonderful couple. And they may share some of their stories as part of the podcast. But I reached out to Preston because he wrote a new book. And it's a terrific book. And um, I wanted him to come on the podcast so that you would be aware of his book. We'll link to his book on Amazon in the show notes so you can buy the book. It's a terrific book. Um, Preston, will you just tell us the name of the book? And introduce the book to our listeners.
1: Of course, yeah. So the book title is This Boy and His Mother, Healing from Trauma as a Gay Latter-day Saint. Um, That phrase, this boy and his mother, comes from the Elder Holland talk from 2015, October. Um, the, The talk was called Behold Thy Mother, but therein he talked about my mom and I's experience. And he made a, a comment. He said, "Many of the long, dark nights of the soul are faced by just this boy and his mother." And so that's where we got like the main title. Like we, my mom and I, knew that when we wrote this down, it had that had to be the title. He did a great job uh, organizing his words, and we liked that phrase.
0: And um, I'll read a little bit from, um, just from what I pulled off of Amazon. This boy and his mother tells the story of a gay. A missionary mentioned in Elder Holland's Behold the Mother returned home early after being sexually assaulted in the hope and healing he found through Jesus Christ, fostered by the faith and testimony of his tenacious mother. What's your mom's first name? Her name is Sherry. Sherry. Um, we got to put a name to that woman. Yep. <laughs> um, and I'll read a little bit more. Um, Chronicles Preston's Journey Back to the Faith and Activity of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, young man who entered the mission field worthy, but but by his own choice returned early due to some same-sex attraction and some trauma experienced in that regard. And often the dark nights of the soul were faced by just this boy and his mother. Speaking with authenticity, I can't say that word, <laughs> Preston offers gospel insights gleaned from experience involved in same-sex attraction, sexual and emotional abuse, and an early return from an LDS mission, mental illness, and eventual completion of his mission. Hope, faith, and never-failing charity are strikingly displayed. And I won't read the whole thing unless you want to add to that at all, Preston. No, no. That's pretty good. Um, I've been reading the reviews on Amazon, listeners, and I, um, that's always a good insight to how people are reading this. But this is just terrific, the reviews I'm reading. I'm telling you, grab some tissues. And that's not just because I'm biased. Preston is my hero i grateful to know Him and love Him and to be constantly taught the gospel truths through Him and of Jesus Christ. Give this book a read. Give it to your families and friends. You won't regret it. Another one. I just started reading this yesterday and can't stop thinking about it. This book will have an impact on me and many, many more, especially within the Church of Jesus Christ. Grateful for Preston being brave enough to share his traumatic story and gospel insights. that will undoubtedly lead others in dark places to feel light again. And one of the gifts of this book is, yes, Prec- Preston's a survivor of sexual abuse and emotional abuse, but the principles that he shares in this book apply to all of us um, as difficult experiences come into our life. And some of those may even result from a church g- experience. Preston was on his mission during this time. And there's, sometimes that's complicated to heal from that. And that's one of the gifts Preston has given to our faith community is, being brave enough to talk about his experience and the courage and vulnerability. The gospel isn't theoretical and the atonement isn't theoretical, Preston. He's had to put it into action in his own life and in others to be able to heal and move forward. And now being such a, a good spot to be able to share his story with listeners. Is that okay for an introduction?
1: No, I mean, thank you. Wow. (laughs) So
0: I'm going to kind of get you talking now, just, You know, we know this book exists and people know a little bit about your story. Um, First of all, give a plug to the podcast that you do. I really want to connect people with the podcast that you do.
1: Sure. So I um, am involved in a podcast called Sit Down with Sky and Preston. Um, My friend Sky Sorensen, he created the podcast. He is also gay and married to a woman. Uh, he just wanted to put a voice out there that, hey, some of us are gay in the church, but married to women and thriving and are happy. And so he asked me to be a guest first. And then then he asked me, it was like, will you come on and be a co-host as well? And so with prodding from the Holy Ghost, I accepted that invitation and that's what we participate in as well.
0: And it's a good podcast. So we'll link also to that show notes. So if you want to check out that podcast. I don't want to just be the podcast guy. I really would love all these other podcasts to kind of succeed. And maybe I'll get out of the podcasting business <laughs> in my old age and let the younger group take over the podcasting business. But um, great job. I'm glad you're doing it. I'm glad more people are hearing your stories. Talk about the book. So it's one thing to have this traumatic experience and share it a little bit, but it's another thing to write a book.
1: Sure. I mean, I, I honestly didn't want to write it. <laughs> like it wasn't my idea. Um, I had no intention of writing a book about this. I I guess I should go back to high school, though, as like a reference. Like, I I knew I was gay in high school, but was closeted. And in high school, had no intention of ever telling anybody that I was gay, except my future spouse. Like, I, I wanted her to know before we got married. But in high school, I just didn't see the need to talk about it, didn't want to talk about it because God and I were good. God and I talked about it and we're good. I don't need to tell anybody else. However, there was always this little itch at the back of my mind, this little spiritual impression of, but someday I'm going to need you to talk about it. And so ever since I was a teenager, like I I knew that eventually I would have to, even though I didn't want to. And then sure enough, all of these experiences unfolded that, that the book details and it reached a point after my second mission where God was like, I need you to write this down. Like this needs to be written. And when I received that impression, I figured it was for posterity and for family. Like a lot of my family was very involved in all of these experiences. So I figured I was just writing it for them so that we'd have a record of it. But then uh, the ball started rolling and I couldn't get it to stop rolling. <laughs> and so, yeah, here we are with the published book.
0: Um. It seems like a lot of authors are spiritually prompted to write books. Um, Book writing is an ability then to take your story and so other people can read it Mm -hmm. in a way that works for them. Um, Just talk more. And there's maybe some bullet points I gave you to read from that I don't have in front of me that maybe you have. You could read just, you could answer those questions or just keep talking about whatever you'd like to talk about. Well, I guess
1: the first thing is, This boy and his mother again came from Elder Holland's talk. That's where we got that phrase and that idea. We struggled for a while to figure out what sort of subtitle to give the book. Um, We didn't know how to poke at the topics that are related to me, but also alert people to what who would might find it helpful to read the story. We didn't. We really struggled. So, I mean, that's why we added this subtitle of healing from trauma because this book. Like, yes, I'm gay, but this book and this story, it relates to anybody that's been through a struggle. You don't have to be gay to relate to this story because it's a story about coming to Christ and being healed by Christ. And so we had to add the phrase as a gay Latter-day Saint again, because that that was my experience and hopefully that will alert people to like some of the context of this story. But ultimately, this is a story about healing. Um, it's not a story of like i'm I'm gay. Like, well, that's just seasoning in the dish. It's not the meal itself. So that was like kind of our first goal. was like, this has to be a story centered on Jesus Christ and how he heals. So that was one of the reasons why I wrote it in the first place was just it was to chronicle how Christ had led me and healed me after some horrible things had happened. Um, one of the other reasons that Um, I wanted it written is because like I mentioned posterity, like I wanted my kids to know and my grandkids and my great grandkids to know what grandpa had been through, what great grandpa had been through so that they too could be inspired to find Christ. Um, And then, I mean, you think about it, Christ did the same thing with his heart experiences. Uh, This is super microscopic, but I'm not trying to compare my experiences to the atonement of Jesus Christ. But if you think about what Christ went through, it was the worst experience anybody could ever go through. And he did it so he could help people. And he told us to be like him and to use our terrible experiences to that same end, to that same goal. Okay, yeah, hard things have happened. But now that I've healed and moved on, it's now it's time to turn around and help other people using my experiences. And I, I have to believe that that's what he expects all of us to do with our hard experiences, our trials, is, yes, get healed and then turn around and help people who are still in the dark and need help healing.
0: Um, thank you for that. Um, healing from trauma, is that, I haven't read the book, is that the experiences from your mission Correct. Yeah. when you're a survivor of emotional and sexual abuse, or is it broader than that?
1: No, it it's more pointed at that. Um, I mean, because of those experiences on my mission, I was diagnosed with PTSD. And I mean, there was lots of fallout for the for about three years afterward, but it's more pointedly about that experience. That that was kind of the I can trace the downfall to that moment, that that event. So it's more about that first mission experience.
0: And talk about this is one of the gifts of your book is The principles that you've learned apply Mm -hmm. to healing from trauma for all sorts of different categories of trauma. So this isn't a book just for those that have had difficult mission experiences that led to PTSD, whatever they are, but Mm -hmm. just the realities that all of us as Latter-day Saints, you know, walk through and things can get very difficult at times and there can be pain and trauma. Talk about just your path to healing then. Sure. I don't want you to give away the whole book so no one buys it, but I I think (laughs) listeners that are in that spot where they just don't feel any hope and they're just in the middle of pain and trauma and don't quite know that, they know theoretically the atonement applies to them and they know Mm -hmm. this isn't sin related. Yeah. It's the non-sin related part of the atonement that's sometimes harder to sort of, there's this nice checklist for the sin part of the atonement. We just go through the, but this is more complicated. Well, and Sometimes.
1: You, you point out a good point, like in, in the scriptures, you look and I, I've done this at the suggestion of, an, of a teacher that I had once to go through and look at all the times that forgiveness is mentioned of sin. God is very quick to respond to repentant sinners. You look at people who are struggling, like you said, with non-sin related trials. They're the ones going, where's God? Like he's often very to respond to those kinds of situations. And so, you no, know, I get it. That's a very common phenomenon. We, we see it in the scriptures. We see it in our lives and in the lives of our friends and family that are struggling that, man, when you want to be forgiven of your sins, God is going to respond and quickly and we can fix those things. But when your health fails or when somebody's terrible to you or when some, you have an unexpected death in the family, whatever it may be, those seem to be the problems that we have to muscle through longer. It's not a quick fix usually um, like sin can be. Um, but, but I guess like that again, that's why this is like the main message of the story is God is very thorough at healing, even if it's not a fast healing. Um, I I think about is it one of the, chapters in my book, I talk about my little brother, Daxton. Um, He had a lot of medical problems at the same time that I was going through all of these spiritual and emotional problems. And he would often do something physically to heal that would then teach me how to emotionally and spiritually heal. Um, And I just want to share a quick story that comes to mind that kind of illustrates one of these points is we can sometimes be so frantic in our suffering that we don't recognize Christ's presence in our life. Um, Christ is there. He's going to be there because of His atonement. We know He is there when we suffer, but we don't always feel that, um, and that's not always useful when we're suffering because uh, the suffering must go on. And there was one particular moment. I, I'm sorry. This is going to be a little bit of context here, but my my baby brother Daxton had a bleeding in his brain that scarred his brain tissue. Um, He had to have multiple surgeries. He had to have a device installed into his brain called a shunt that allows cerebrospinal fluid to drain. And shunts are really finicky devices. They can malfunction pretty easily, and, and it's detrimental. You can eventually die if a malfunction isn't treated. So anytime you exhibit symptoms of a malfunction, my mom would have to take him to the hospital to get a scan to make sure that the shunt wasn't malfunctioning. And he was a baby, like he, and he was not yet vocal. And so my mom told me this story and we analyzed it later. Again, the parallels to my own experience at the time, she, he, he couldn't move for the test. Like that was imperative. If he moved during the test, they would have to do it over again. They'd have to start over. And so he had his head (laughs) wedged into like a foam some kind of foam pillow so his head wouldn't move. He was strapped down. My my mom was given some, I, I mean, the test was safe. So my mom could be nearby. She didn't have to leave the room. So she was encouraged to lie on the table with him. She was stroking his face. She was singing to him. She was talking to him, trying to console him. And he screamed through the entire test. Um, and my mom had to help hold his chin steady and She was crying because she just imagined like these baby cries meant like, where are you? Like, why aren't you fixing this? Do something. Um, And then as soon as the test was over, he was back in her arms and consoled. But my mom and I would talk about that experience frequently, just realizing that I was doing the same thing spiritually and emotionally. I was in the middle of a test and was so frantic and screaming so much inside that I didn't notice that Christ was inches away. And that, that to me, that story is like such a core part of this story because it's illustrative of Christ is there. He's going to be there. But sometimes we get in the way of not recognizing that he's there because we're so frantic and so in pain. And the thing is, my mom didn't blame my brother for his response to the situation. She understood why he was screaming and freaking out. Like, she didn't hold it against him. She just wished she'd calm down and notice that she was there with him through the whole thing. Um, anyway, the, that whole experience, there's so many parallels, a lot of metaphor there. But it's a core part of this story because it hits on a lot of different points. But God is there. That's like got to be one of the main things I would want people to learn from reading this story is he's there. That's a, I love
0: the visual. You know, it's a painful visual for a mm-hmm. mom with a newborn. Um, talk about how to better see God. I'm thinking now of your mom holding your brother mm-hmm. and he, she being there the whole time. Talk to our listeners um, about how to see God and the Savior in these dark, tough moments where we just it's hard to see sometimes.
1: Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. I would say first, scream. Scream all you need. like Cry all you need. Again, I don't think he's petty enough to hold it against us when we need a good scream. Um, but if you'd like to benefit from his presence and his help, get to know them first and foremost. That learning more about who Jesus Christ is and what he did when he performed the atonement, learning about Heavenly Father and the plan of salvation that he authored, um, and getting to know the Holy Ghost and his role, just getting to know these members of the Godhead as individuals and the roles that they play, that, that knowledge was powerful. Like, yes, I was still in a lot of pain and no, I wasn't completely healed yet. But get, the more I got to know them, the more power I had from them to face hard days or face depth of depression that I'd never wanted to be at. Um, so, I mean, to any who are, are struggling and hurting and just aching for relief, if that cannot come yet, at least get to know the three people who will keep you company through that pain. Because um, I, I promise he's there, um, whether you see it or not. Again, it might not be helpful to know that they're there, but they're there. And don't, don't forget it.
0: That's great. I think of the scripture, Christ descended below all things. Mm-hmm. And I think the doctrine behind that is that whatever spot we're in, even if there's not a scripture example of somebody being the same spot, there's nothing in the scriptures exactly to your journey, Preston. Mm-hmm. But still the doctrine is Christ descended below all things and understands each of our unique roads and can be there with us.
1: Yep. And has the capacity to do that as a God. Yeah. That's our doctrine. And then when you... Do come off those frantic highs. <laughs> um, then then something can be done. Like then, like like I said, once the test was over, he was in her arms and consoled. Once some of these harder trials pass, we're in his arms and can can be consoled and can grow and learn from there. But the test has to be finished. He can't let us move, or it has to be repeat. again, it's metaphor here, but yeah.
0: More things you'd like to share from the book or just I, my impression is keep you talking. <laughs> Fair
1: enough. Um, I mean, that that is one of the main things. It's just learning more about the members of the Godhead and paying attention to their their involvement in my life. That did me a lot of good and fast. It didn't take away the PTSD. It didn't make my mission not happen. I mean, all those things still were reality, but I was associating with extremely powerful men who could make a difference and could change me even if um, PTSD wasn't going away or me being gay wasn't going away or whatever, um, whatever the case may be. So I, I guess at the core of that though is this idea that President Packer taught that true doctrine understood will change attitudes and behavior faster than studying behavior. And I took him up on that. I was like, bet, let's see. Like, <laughs> Uh, so I made it a huge point in my life to study doctrine. I wanted to know what was true. Um, so I learned everything I could about PTSD. I learned everything I could about mental health. I looked for examples in the scriptures of people that had anguishes of the soul and the mind and um, looked at stories about healing. I, I I mean, I was gay and wondering, like, am I ever going to get married? So I would study the doctrine of marriage and family and commandments like chastity. Like there, there were just... I looked at where I was weak and asked what doctrine if I understood it better would fortify this weakness. And I can testify that what President Packer said is true. I I changed faster doing that than doing any other activity. So I mean that that's one of like the main takeaways I hope people have from this story is there's power in knowledge. There's there's something I, I don't know like compensating about knowing truth um, that enables you to better grapple with whatever it is you face. Is Knowledge is power. We need knowledge. So keep seeking it. That's one of the main things. It's a really great segment. Yeah. Well, again, it just, it, it did the most good. And I
0: like the way you focus on things that you can control. Mm. That's one of the things that you've, Every question I've asked on hard situations, you've gone to things that you can control and sort of let other things you can't control, not sort of define the situation.
1: Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was doing that, but it's true. (laughs) It's
0: really interesting. And I think it's a very practical skill. I can learn more about, you know, I can turn to the scriptures for people that have similar type of experiences. I can learn the doctrine of Christ. I can learn about the plan of salvation. I can really act
1: on President Packard's words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know why I started doing that. Like, I, I don't know if I can trace that to an event, but I do remember discussing that idea with my, my mom. And then also I had a coworker years ago when I was living in Las Vegas who, who taught me that very thing of like, there are things on my side of the street. And there are things on the other side of the street that are out of my control. I cannot cross the street and fix what's going on over there. But I can do things on my side of the street to beautify and take care of and make better what's going on over here. Um, but, but I don't know what else to do. <laughs> like, so I, I insist on figuring out what can I do and doing that. Letting the rest go because I don't have any power there. I like that. I like the visuals.
0: Um... Talk to those, and I don't know if you would use these same words to describe your experience, but some people feel trauma from the institution or they feel the church has let them down. They still support and sustain leaders, believe in the doctrine. They've had a difficult experience with the leader, with the institution, with a specific experience, and they feel let down. Mm -hmm. And perhaps there's even pain and trauma. And there's no, they've never really been in a church lesson that sort of explores how to work through that. It's a very unique if your pain and trauma comes from work or different situation, kind of turn to church as the house of healing. But if the pain or the trauma originates at church, quote unquote, it's it's maybe a different set of tools to lean back in and heal that mm-hmm. with not just separating yourself from the church. And obviously you didn't separate yourself from the church as you're in the church. But uh, any I I don't know if you feel like that's the road you've walked at one point. I don't know if I put words in your mouth, but I would love you to just talk to people that perhaps need your experience to help them because they do want to come back. They mm-hmm. do want to figure out a way to get through this. They just don't know how.
1: Yeah. No, that, that's very real experience that a lot of people live. Like you said, where a pain originates from a member of the church, and it's like, well, then it taints the church experience for them. I, I get that. I, One of the hardest parts of my PTSD was all of my triggers were mission or church related things, basic things like the scriptures and conference talks, things that I would read while the abuse was happening as like a comfort and a refuge. Well, then once years later, once I was out of that abusive situation, well, then the scriptures and the conference talks were a reminder of the abuse. Like my brain had linked them. That's what PTSD does. And so, like I I get it. It's hard. And and I struggled for a few years. Like I was pretty much inactive. I, I wasn't hostile towards the church outwardly, though in private circles I would mouth off and was very bitter and disgruntled. Um and, and would go to appease my family. Or when I was at school, I would go if my roommate was going, but I wouldn't go with my own volition. So I definitely tried to stay away from church for a while. But like you said, there are a lot of people who, who still believe it. It's just hard to go when you know that the source of pain is coming from the people there. And um, to those, I would say, take it slow. Do what you can um, and focus on the truth and, and the purpose of certain things. I, I, my heart aches when I hear stories from other people where they, they had a bad leader or they had a bad companion or they had a bad fill-in-the-blank at church and I, I hurt because when you leave the church, you leave the power. And like, I mean, that's what the purpose of the church is to give us the power of God through ordinances and covenants. And when you walk away from those, you lose the power. And so it's a hard lesson to learn of like, how do we navigate relationships with other fallen people while we try and tap into the power God is offering us? So I would just say, take it slow, do what you can focus on the truth it it wasn't a quick return like it, it took late it was bit after bit for example like the scriptures it was not the first thing i went back to i i couldn't open my scriptures without panicking and but hymns didn't bother me like for some reason i music was a safe space except the hymn called to serve just because that's a very mission related hymn but I would just say, start with where you can. Um, things that will pull you back to Christ. Focusing on, on Christ in whatever way you can. Hymns were the thing that I could do at first. Conference, I would sit through conference, but I would not read it afterward. Um, and that's what I had to do for a few conferences to ease back into it. Um, another trigger for me was my garments. I, I couldn't wear them for a while for almost like almost two years. I just, I couldn't stand the feeling of them on me, but my mom taught me an important lesson and I, I I washed them. I folded them. I put them in a box and I said, I'll come back. And when I did come back, I wore them for like 15 minutes and then was like, Nope. And put them back in the box and waited a few weeks. And then put them on for about an hour. And then same thing was like, nope, and put them back in the box and waited even longer. And so I had to ease back into a lot of things. But knowing why I needed them helped me get back to them. Like knowing why we have the scriptures, knowing what the garment symbolizes and is supposed to remind me of, like rebranding it for its original purpose, I guess is a better way of saying this. It's just, Take it slow, take it one thing at a time. It does not have to be all at once. But remember the focus is supposed to be on accessing the power of Jesus Christ in your life. And if that's your focus, God can do that through a hymn. He can do it through 15 minutes of wearing your garments when you haven't been able to for a year. Whatever it may be, like he's very patient. Um, And that's what I mean, or what I meant earlier too, about him being very thorough. He's very thorough in his healing. Every little nook and cranny that was corrupted by my first mission experience has been addressed by my Father in Heaven. But that's been very... It's been over time. It's been years. It wasn't all at once.
0: Every nook and cranny yep. of that terrible experience has been addressed by your Heavenly Father. I, I love the grace. I love... You working through putting your garments back on, to me, isn't a lack of faith or a lack of commitment or a lack of being good. It's just a PTSD. I'm not a therapist, but I you've helped me understand. I'm remembering some of our first podcasts now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if I were sort of using shaming language like Preston, it's time to put this behind you. Um, you're making too big of a deal of this that that would not be helpful to you. But to really, and it sounds like your mother's terrific, maybe other people in your life, just recognizing in your wife who's sitting with you, we'll probably get to hear from her, just recognizing that you're doing the best you can. And it's really remarkable how well you're doing, and the things you're learning, and and giving you space to process this the best way you can and not sort of, legislate that for you but just say I'll walk with you as you're walking this road this is a road that neither of us have walked together but I'll walk with you because I think the intent of everything you're doing is trying to do the best you can Um, so I'm really struck by that segment and just thanks for your courage to talk to us so openly about even the garment could be triggering to you Mm -hmm. and scriptures could be triggering to you and hymns weren't Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the way PTSD works and people have had difficult church experiences. I love the formula you gave there. You may have given a formula for you listeners out there that are trying to come back, but don't know how. And it's triggering and you get anxiety on Saturday night or whenever. And But there might be something like the hymns. There might be something like a friend on the back row. There might be something that's just safe for you in this whole formula. Maybe it is reading your scriptures. Maybe it's a podcast about "Come Follow Me" that can just be your lifeline as you continue to heal and continue to make your way forward. But do this on one of the things Preston's teaching us is: there's no owner's manual how to do this, but Preston's strong enough and self-aware enough to kind of do this the way Preston needs to do this. Um, on your terms.
1: I will add something there, though. Actually, that is. The, the gift of the Holy ghost is vital. Good. I, and I, I, sh, I, I think I might've given an impression of like my strength of like choosing these milestones. I didn't, I yielded to the Holy ghost who would let me know when it was time to take the next little baby step. And like having the gift of the Holy ghost and trusting the pace he sets was kind of the key to a lot of these experiences. And I don't want to give this impression of like, it was my idea every time it, most of the time it wasn't, it was these gentle, beautiful, wonderful, consistent communications with the Holy Ghost who has been my companion since I was eight. And he was the one that would help me know like, okay, can we, can we talk about this topic? And it would, it would be triggering or it would be hard, but it, it would just be like another little layer of healing and understanding. And then it would. We'd move on to other things or whatever. Like I would continue about my life, my my own pace. But he was the one that would be the one that would lead to a lot of these beautiful, impactful experiences. He was the one setting the pace and helping me confront things that were terrifying to me at the time. I mean, that experience about coming back to wearing my garments, like that was very spirit led. And he and I talked a lot through that experience. Um, and we cried a lot through it, but just keeping that companionship of the Holy ghost. Like, again, I, I don't trust myself. So I, I had to learn to trust him to set the pace.
0: More things you'd like to share.
1: Well, that's one of them. Actually, that was kind of one of the other bullet points I had here was that the Holy ghost became one of my best friends. Um, And then ultimately, like I was, I I got better and I I was doing really well with my mental health. And I decided to finish my mission and going back out on my second mission. It became a funny phrase that I would tell myself that like the Holy Ghost was my favorite companion. I, I had 17 companions between my two missions. So I had a lot of companions. That's not typical to have that many, but I would always tell people like, no, the Holy Ghost is my favorite companion because I'm, I'm not enough. Like there are things that I'm, are too big for me that I can't confront by myself. But with the companionship of a God, like I can do them and I can stretch and grow and rise to certain occasions and reach certain potential that I wouldn't have without him. And I'm so grateful for the doctrine and the ordinances that allowed me his companionship since I was eight years old when I got baptized. So. Yeah, that would be like another huge takeaway and theme throughout this story in this book is just the whisperings of the Holy Ghost and that companionship. Again, it's a relationship. It's not, I don't know. It's more than a conscience. It's, he's more than just a whisper. He's more than just a good feeling. He's a person and he's a good man and a good friend. And um, I just would hope people learn to make him their favorite companion in life. Which, I mean, is a funny segue into like a lot of like how Taryn and I met and courted and dated. And that was all spirit led. That was all led by the Holy Ghost.
0: Do you want to pivot and go there now? Or do you want to talk more about the book?
1: I think it's a natural pivot right there. Like, because again, that topic is very related to why Taryn and I are married and where we're at today. So
0: I'd love you to tell your love story. It's a beautiful love story. And just you're sharing one mic there. So kind of, you know, keep that mic up in front of whoever's or just nuggle up like you're
1: doing. That's great. Well, where do we start, Taryn?
2: <laughs> a long time ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, we met 15 years ago um, on a church history tour. I was 15. Taryn was 18. Um, and it, it was a, an adult group. It wasn't like a typical like all youth group. We were only two of eight youth on the group but it just became the kind of situation where we our families became really good friends Taryn was really close with me and a few of my siblings so it was the kind of friendship that whenever we were passing through town or whenever there was an event or something we would see each other
2: I'm from St. George and he's from Vegas and so yeah anytime I would fly out or go visit my family that was in Vegas stop by say hi stay for a few hours it was just yeah, it started out just with that genuine friendship of, we had a lot of impactful shared experiences on the church history tour and we had a lot of fun when mm-hmm. I mean, we were teenagers. And so it was just that solid friendship that kind of comes and goes. And then you meet up and then you, you start it's like no time. Yeah, passed. exactly. Yeah.
1: And then, I mean, eight years ago, um, I was at BYU, Idaho with one of my brothers, um, attending school there. And Taryn had already graduated from there and she was just passing through visiting town and we reconnected. And that's when I told her this whole story. So everything that's written in the book, that's when I told Taryn that I was gay, that these were the mission experiences that I had had and the healing process I'd been going through. And and I hadn't yet left on my second mission. Mm -hmm. So that's when we reconnected and she heard the full story. So she knew everything about me. It was that kind of a friendship.
0: Why did you feel impressed to open up to Taryn? And why did you know she was safe for that story?
1: She, she doesn't like the answer to that question, but she knows the answer because I loved her. She was a good friend. Um, and I always wanted to date her, but, but it was, we weren't, that wasn't really an option then. But it was just, I just had so much respect and admiration for Taryn because of the nature of our relationship. We were just good friends that talked about everything. And I mean, Taryn can speak to this, but she felt very strongly not to talk to me during my darkest years. Like there were times when she could have reached out, but felt like she shouldn't. Um,
2: Yeah. I'd be on social media and I would see a picture and I would just get this sense of something's not, something's not well. I don't know what's going on here, but then I would either forget that stupor of thought um, as, in the scriptures it says, or I would just forget and move on. And and that happened multiple times because I, I thought consciously, oh, I'm going to reach out and just see how he is. And sometimes I would get a hard no. So I just kind of kept going and would, from a distance, I <laughs> would kind of check in on social media at the time and see how he was, but we didn't communicate for many years.
1: Yep. And then eight years ago was like that first reconnection moment where I Mm -hmm. shared everything I was healthier and and I mean Taryn had been through her own things too and had had some hard mission experiences and so we just were able to relate on a lot of things and
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I don't know I don't know how to explain it but it was just that kind of a friendship where you you talk about these things anyway and naturally so
2: well and a lot of people have asked me well what did you think when he came out and I to be honest I was more concerned about the trauma I mean, this was this was so much that my friend had been through and had experienced, and to see how far he had come, to see places that he had crawled back from, and his focus on Jesus Christ, his intent to follow him, and his his insistence on following Christ. It was so admirable. I I, I genuinely didn't think about him being gay. Uh There were so many other things going on that that wasn't a priority for me to focus on. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how our whole friendship has been. It's just, I I know who he is at his core. And I know the direction that his life has gone and that he chooses Christ. So for me, yeah, that wasn't, that was a (laughs) non-issue.
1: Yep. Well, and then I called her a week before I left on my second mission and I was like, hey, guess what? I'm going into the MTC again and leaving on another mission. And she was like, wait, what? (laughs) Sorry,
2: we just talked last week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. So then I I left on my second mission and we didn't really talk Mm -mm. at all while I was on my second mission. Because again, it was that kind of a friendship. We just kind of would come in and out of each other's lives. And then it was about four years ago that we were both living in Provo. And that's when we became Super good. We would hang out at least once a week. We we were seeing each other all the time.
2: Hang out with his family. Again, I I've known all his siblings and aunts and uncles for many years. (laughs) I was always the one that just kind of hung around. (laughs) But we tried dating and yeah,
1: like three and a half years ago.
2: It was just we were trying to follow the typical checkbox formula of just like, well, we'll hold hands at this time and we'll do this at this time. And I was dealing with my own medical issues. And so I was not in a great headspace. And he knew that. And we would talk about it. And we would, again, we weren't commiserating. It was more of a hopeful conversation of I'm dealing with this. And he would tell me, he would, he would tell me he was proud of me for keeping on fighting. He would tell me he he really admired me for for the choices that I had made when it would have been so much easier to give in or to give up. Because it's a hard place or to stay away. And so, yeah, it just, it, it didn't work out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and we, we stopped talking at that time. Like it was, it was a mutual breakup. Like it was a very mutual understanding. We ha- it was one of the most mature conversations I had had in my life to that point of just like, wait a minute, we're dating. What do we both need and want? What are our expectations? Are we meeting those? Can we meet them? what are we doing is this smart is this wise like and we just kind of both realized like this isn't the right thing to do right now like this is not right and we both went through hell <laughs> <laughs> because it, I, yeah. we did not take that breakup very well no. individually like for mm-hmm. our own reasons we
2: no you lose you, uh, for a while you kind of lost that person that you i would find something funny and i'd want to text it to him or i'd I'd have an insight at church and I wanted to hear his thoughts on it. And it just, it was rough. It was, it was just again, losing your best friend. I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that and it's just soul wrenching. Yep. So then. Well, and then
1: I, I would, I got back into dating. Taryn didn't date mm -hmm. much, but I got back into dating and wonderful women, like nothing against these women, but I would come home and just yell to my mom. Like, they're not Taryn. Like, I don't, these are good people, but it's not the same. Like I didn't want this. Like I wanted to, like, I was such a child. Like
2: I don't want this,
1: but um, yeah.
2: Well, and then a year ago, we, I don't have social media anymore. And I happened to look on, this is such a stalker thing. I was looking on Venmo and just looking at my transactions. And I knew I, I saw that Preston had paid someone rent and I was like, he's, He's in Vegas. at home? Why would his? Why was? Why is he paying rent? And so, looking back, this was the spirit thing. Here, you need to text him. So I actually reached out and I just said, "Hi, are you back in Utah? Are <laughs> you <I'm> here?" <laughs> and yeah, we met up. I think our first conversation was seven and a seven half hour, hours. Yeah, seven and a half hours, and just reconnecting. And anyway, from there, it just it was a natural, um projection of how our life went of we kept hanging out, we kept hanging out, we started dating. And it was very spirit led. Yeah. It was very spirit-led because I was very hesitant as well. I'm like, we did this before. Do I want you as a friend? Do I want you as more? So that was yeah. more my dilemma.
1: <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because like turns said, it was so spirit led that at week after week, one of us would say, hey, I think we should talk about this topic. And the other person would say, oh, wait, I was thinking about that this week. <coughs> it became a pattern that lasted months where we would just, it was so spirit led. Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, I was thinking about that too. And we did it to each other because we both were keeping the spirit as our guide. And yeah, and we got married. <laughs> and uh, that was <laughs> it back it in up, January. sum yeah. it up.
0: Um, it's, this is just a beautiful love story. Um, sometimes, listeners, when I have couples in mixed orientations marriages, where, which I define as when one or both are not straight, um, I read from my book called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. This is also on page 264. Um, when the church doesn't encourage, while the church doesn't encourage us, some of these marriages fail. Mixed orientation marriages can and work for some. We should hope they succeed. Before I stepped in the space, the only mixed orientations marriages I were aware of were those that failed. I falsely concluded from my limited sample size and understanding that all mixed orientation marriages failed. It was only after interviewing several couples that my conclusions changed. I actually felt a rebuke of the spirit during one of these interviews for my false conclusions. I now understand these marriages can be beautiful and authentic love stories in which honesty, communication, vulnerability, power of, and commitment to eternal covenants and common eternal goals creates a strong and healthy foundation. I'm also aware my awareness of successful mixed-orientation marriages is limited, as there are likely many couples who are not sharing this part of their life with others, and there should be no requirement to do so. I sometimes... I sometimes hear of the spouse in a mixed orientation marriage referred to as the hero for making the marriage work. Sometimes the straight spouse, sometimes the LGBTQ spouse. I'm not sure we should judge who are more is less of a hero. I'm not sure any of us understand the complexities of another marriage to elevate one spouse or the others. Um, then I kind of go on to talk about these can be successful even if they come out after they're married, but generally encouraging those to open up in the dating process and then for each partner to speak to receive personal revelation so that both people both parties individuals can make an informed decision on this on the reality of this um which it sounds
1: like you Mm -hmm. two did obviously that is very well written yes that so that is the case
0: um like probably Preston does since you're a podcast guy and on social media I get a lot of messages from couples in mixed orientation marriages. And I'm, I don't have any data on this, but I think there's a lot of couples in the LDS church in mixed orientation marriages and they're opening up to their spouse. I would, I don't know. I mean, there's some that may not be opening up to anybody mm-hmm. and there maybe be should be requirement to do so. But your stories, I've recognized they've mentioned the podcast really helps them to feel they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk to couples in mixed orientation marriages or do you want to talk to people that think you're, I mean, that, that's about four different questions. Don't let me ask you four <laughs> questions. What advice would you give to your younger selves as you were considering this path? Um, so here you are pre-married, you know, you're thinking of marrying a gay man. Um, and so there's other couples that are in this situation that, you know, they're, they're thinking of going down this road. What advice would you give them?
1: Either of you could answer that question. I know what my immediate answer would be. And this is like one of the best pieces of advice I, we were given. Um, not directly, but I went to a presentation by Ty and Danielle Mansfield. Mm-hmm. And their whole thing was write your own story. Like collect other people's stories. Like mm-hmm. learn from other people's strengths and weaknesses and their successes and their failures. And then go to the Lord and your potential spouse or current spouse and write your own story it's my favorite title for Jesus Christ that he's the author and finisher of our faith and again so much of Taryn and I's relationship has been spirit-led that that was the best advice we ever got was write your own story with the Lord and your spouse Mm
2: -hmm. yeah I think I I mean Taryn
0: you uh, probably have lots of Preston's sort of a public gay guy, yes. yeah yeah So he's not just telling you, it's sort of no. out there. I mean, even Elder Holland has talked about it, um Preston, so you probably I don't want to know if this is true, but you probably have a lot of voices around you saying, this is what you should do and or what you shouldn't do. And so that's one of the challenges of just receiving personal revelation or authoring your own stories. You've got all these voices trying mm-hmm. to write your story for you so. You're in a unique situation, so I'd love to hear what your advice is.
2: Yeah, I um, unfortunately have <laughs> the problem of I care what people think.
0: It's a. It's <laughs> most people have that. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's a struggle, and so um, when when person and I were just friends, it didn't come up as much because it's not. I don't know. You don't. I you don't introduce your friend as or I didn't as him being gay. He's so much more than that. When we were dating, um there there are a lot of voices social media. I got off of social media before we started dating because of just of my mental health i it mm. was a decision I needed to make for myself, and that helped to alleviate some of those voices. but the adversary has a lot to say as well as just people not understanding because they, a lot of people have said, "Oh, I hope you guys work," or I hope you make it and i to me, I guess we're just a very normal couple, and I recognize that the outside looking in, it people definitely distinguish Preston's gay and I'm straight, and I that's not something I've ever seen. Is again, Preston, I'll use your words like being gay is orbital. That's something that is is going to be there, but it's not something we talk about on a daily basis. We budget together. We go shopping <laughs> together. We go to work. We, we, we goof work around, around together. <laughs> we, yeah, we laugh. Exactly. Yeah. We do all the things that I guess, quote unquote, normal couples would do. And so that was kind of in my mind. I kind of withdrew from, um, I don't, not, not necessarily certain people, but certain ideas. And I would just directly bring them to Preston. And we, we've always had very open conversations of, okay, I heard this thing. What do you think about this? I heard this question, what do you think about that? And when I started opening up and telling more people that we were probably getting married, then the questions would be, well, what if he cheats on you? Are you guys going to be intimate? And all of these, I, they're, they're very confronting questions in the way that, well, like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> That's very personal. <laughs> right. There's probably
0: some boundaries there where people shouldn't yeah. be asking some of those questions. Yeah. But-
2: so that was that was hard because I wasn't ready for that. So
1: so we we talked. This was mm-hmm. all happening while we were courting, mm-hmm. like before we were married. So yeah, we've had hours long conversations about some of these topics, just so that we were sure of what our individual answers were, and therefore we could then make a collective answer of how we would respond to these mm-hmm. things. So we've we've tried all kinds of things. We thought of everything we can come up with to. Just be ready for these kinds of Mm -hmm. misunderstandings, like Taryn said, or maybe ignorant questions, or maybe some of the more malicious ones too.
2: Mm -hmm. But staying close to the spirit is that was the number one thing because I would come home from a date and be stressed out because when we were together, it was fine. Then I would go home and I would let all these voices and these ideas come in. And I had to fight for that and just really reconnect with God and then reconnect with Him and just. I had to force myself to not listen or if to other people, but if they did have a question, I would bring it up with Preston. I would take it to the Lord so that it just became us and God involved in our relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, this' is a really good answer. Um, I'm not a marriage and family therapist, but one of the things I've sensed in my experience is couples that have honest, vulnerable, real authentic communication, have a pattern of that long before they're married, Mm -hmm. have this foundation of just how to work through things. And I love that you're spirit-led and I love you're always talking about. So everything you're hearing, you're talking about it together and processing that together.
2: And it can be hard. It was hard and it was uncomfortable, some of the questions that we got and talked about. But we had said from the beginning, if we are going to make this work, everything's on the table. And it's going to stay on the table. We want to have open conversations about everything and anything. And we want to consistently have those. So there'd be times where it's like, I don't want to bring this up, but I'd get a nudge from the spirit. Okay, I want to talk to you about this. And you're better for that. Just being that open and that um, honest. Because then everything's out there. You're not questioning what's the other one thinking. What's happening? I don't understand. Your sexuality, I don't understand your way about going about this. It kind of goes across the board and it set that precedent for every conversation we have in our marriage. Yeah.
1: And like turns said about everything, about budgeting, about, about vacations and meals <laughs> and yeah, what do we want to do with our free time? And yeah, all kinds of things. When it's funny too, when we were recording, I remember telling Taryn, you're not my number one. You're number two. God is number one. And at first she was like, excuse me.
2: <laughs> it did not make sense. Then but, it did.
1: <laughs> but I was like, I, the, he has to be number one. Mm-hmm. And you are very safe being number two if he's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he comes before you. And luckily he tells me to put you, <laughs> to prioritize you. So like you're in good hands when he's number one. Yeah. And it, it became a kind of theme of our relationship too, is she made that decision by herself.
2: And I think one last she did the thing. the same thing. Yeah. One last thing I would say is, it it has come down for us of choosing the other one. Mm. Um, I I didn't necessarily get a prompting of you need to marry Preston. It was the whole process of spirit led back to him, and it was my choice to make ultimately. And I felt very confident in the road that the spirit had had led me, and in our conversations, and like ultimately. Every day we choose each other in, in in every sense of the word. So that's something that choice, it you really do have, um, you do have that option and and it's a powerful one. And we've
1: gotten into the habit of saying that to each other sometimes too, of I choose you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that feels more special sometimes than hearing I love you. Mm-hmm. Like I love you is is good and nice and it's a wonderful feeling, but I choose you is. I don't care what's going on. I still choose you, like, and that that can be much more powerful, given whatever context it's set in. but yeah, we choose each other, and that feels much more powerful than my attractions said I should chase you, like yeah, that's not as reliable
2: mm-hmm. That's
0: a really great segment. um I wish this wasn't just an audio podcast, and you could see. Taryn and Preston, just next to each other, sharing this microphone. They're just in love and they're just a typical, wonderful couple that's in love and I think will always be in love. And they've developed principles and a foundation that I have great, great feelings about the future of your life together and um, being parents, being grandparents. And, you know, there's this phrase out in society, living your truth, and I, I don't particularly like that phrase, to be honest, because it's sort of as prescriptive on what you should do. And so I think you've taught us that, which is, I think, the doctrine of our church is write your own story or be the author of your own story and own your own story. And, and we have guests on our podcasts that are writing different stories in the LGBTQ space, and we try to be supportive of all stories. But I think the thing that's so powerful about your story is you weren't told to do this. No one held up another mixed orientation marriage and said, this is how it works, Preston. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like these people. You, that may have been, and you may have heard those stories, but I like what Ty Mansfield, who's been on the podcast, said, write your own story mm-hmm. and own your own story and receive personal revelation for your own story and share that together. And now you have this great foundation together and it's living your truth. You are living your truth. Because you've received personal revelation that this is your truth, so I'm coming to that back to that phrase I don't particularly like, because to me you are doing that, but it's not society imposed; it's self, it's personal revelation imposed and mm-hmm. working together.
1: When Taryn and I have only been married eight months, but like there have been so many moments where we've one or both of us has just wept and been like. Are there people okay? like, are other couples okay? like almost feeling guilty for how beautiful the last year has been like why why does this work so well? and why I, again, almost that guilt again, why is why is a good thing happening? And we just keep coming back to like we've put in the work like there this has not been effortless. Mm-hmm. Though it has been wonderful and been a wonderful experience, like it's required a lot of mental and emotional and spiritual and sometimes physical effort on our parts as individuals mm-hmm. to build this marriage. And that's what it felt like in courtship. We, we talked, oh, much about so many different things because we wanted to build a relationship together. And the last eight months of bliss have been kind of the payout for all that effort in a lot of work and
2: but you like who you're doing it with yeah and so there's a purpose behind that and there's a direction towards that and you're building something together and so again it's it's worth it and the uh, the hours and the tears and whatever that we've put in together it's that's us working mm-hmm. towards our goals working towards whatever it is that we face in life the struggles the sorrows um yeah
0: yep no, I'm thinking back to being in my ySA assignment. some of the ySAs would kind of, in a very short time get married, and i they just then they had to do all the hard work mm. and I don't say that's a bad path or a wrong path, but I recognize that there's a side of me just wish all couples could do this kind of work before they're married and have this kind of foundation of vulnerability trust. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So I assume mm-hmm. when Preston's opening about the realities of his life, it sounds like I can talk to Preston mm-hmm. about the realities of my yep. life. Definitely. He's a safe person for that. And that's part of a beautiful love story is to have that kind of a partner in your life. And, and so you've done this. And so when you've said the post-marriage has just been bliss, in a way that doesn't surprise me <laughs> um, because of the foundation you had going into marriage. And I think of all these pillars of, you know, the six signs of a foundation of a successful marriage that you built before marriage day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope we learn to do more of that in yeah. our culture.
1: Well, and, and I don't want to paint this picture of like nothing's gone wrong. I mean, Taryn and I have faced financial and health and family issues mm-hmm. all within the last eight months, but it's, I don't know, like those things don't feel as heavy and hard. Cause again, mm-hmm. there's, power from God when you live his truth, his truths and keep those covenants that you've made with him. And Mm -hmm. there's this payout. There's, um,
0: way at the beginning of the podcast, you talked about writing this book for your posterity. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hope I caught that is that you are fine with your kids and grandkids knowing their grandpa or their father's gay. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the themes of this whole podcast, you have I haven't once felt shame from you about your sexual orientation. Nope.
2: Yeah, you no. You talk need.
0: about it just like you have blue eyes. I can't tell what yeah, color eyes you have. They're green.
1: Oh, we, this <laughs> was a conversation today. Taryn was like, your eyes are green. I was like, what? I thought they were blue. Apparently they're green. Well,
0: I can't see that far.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you and Taryn both have bright blue eyes. There's like crystal blue bright eyes. blue eyes. I have like apparently green eyes. We'll call you green <laughs> blue eyes. They change. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I think the point is that there's just, you're so at peace with your sexual orientation. You don't communicate any shame Mm-mm. as you've talked about this the entire hour podcast. And even in the book, you talk obviously in the book about being gay, but you want your kids and your grandkids to know this part about you.
1: Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I would hope They know that whatever their secondary labels are, they don't hold a candle to your core identifiers. I mean, I, I love the devotional from President Nelson just a few months ago, where he talked about the three core tenets of your identity should be you are a child of God, you are a child of the covenant, and you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he, he said a very interesting phrase. He said, every other identity will eventually disappoint you or fail you, I think is the word he used. That, that, that stood out to me. I've thought about that a lot over the last couple of months. And, it's, and I, I believe it, that eventually every other label won't be enough to sum up who you are. And yet child of God, child of the covenant and disciple of Christ, all three of those say a lot. In very few words. And so that's what I would, I mean, Taryn and I have talked about this. This is the idea that we would want to pass on to our kids and our posterity beyond that is just whatever life hands you in mortality, be it blue eyes, green eyes, that you're gay or straight, that you're disabled or not. Like it, it doesn't matter, whatever labels you may have in this life, there are three much more important tenets of your identity. And so that's why there doesn't have to be shame. It's just like Taryn said. I, sometimes I describe it as something like orbital, like like at the core where the center of gravity is is my identity from God. Whereas being gay is just something in orbit. I don't I don't know if it will always be in orbit, and I don't care to know. It doesn't matter to me. It's orbital. Like sometimes it's in the sky and I see it, and I'm like, oh look, there it is. It's coming around again. But then some other times it's out of sight and out of mind. So. I would just want my kids and grandkids to know that 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 is that principle is true for whatever mortal baggage they have to carry. I don't even know if I like that phrase, but whatever. Just whatever identifiers you have, there's much more important ones.
0: I love that, and I love those three things that President Nelson taught. Mm-hmm. And these, and I just there's just this theme of no shame. You didn't directly say that, but it's been. And I think that's helpful for other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Is what you're teaching that shouldn't feel shame. I think shame in this space causes someone to just feel this part of about me God doesn't like, so I mm-hmm. I don't feel worthy to pray to God, and it just I think Satan's one of his greatest tools is to create shame to separate us from God. Yes,
1: and this is something that I've had to like. I mean, I'm 30 years old, but I've had years of therapy and good doctors and professionals that have helped me work through that of like what is the difference between guilt and shame? Yeah, um, Guilt usually is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something yeah. wrong. And I mean, but now in, in our friendship, courtship, and now marriage with Taryn, like these are things that I am covenantly bound to share with her, that I want to share with her. Like, and me too. Yeah, so like she knows all, so many things about what I'm going through. And, and I want her to know those things. I, I'll tell her if I find somebody attractive because I want to work out those feelings with her because she's my spouse. And so she knows like quote unquote my type and I know hers. And we, again, we talk about these things because this is the bounds that the Lord has set for these feelings. And so. And straight couples probably should do the same thing. Honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, but, but sorry, the reason why I, mean, I said that is that there's no shame between us. Yeah. Like, I don't have to justify or explain like, well, it's just, oh, that guy's really attractive. Just FYI. And she's like, well, do you want to talk about it? And then we'll have a conversation about it. Or Or sometimes sometimes we don't. (laughs) And it doesn't matter. But it's like, there's no shame because we just talk about it. It it is. So let's talk about it. Again, like she said, everything has to be on the table. Mm
2: -hmm. Consistently. Yeah. Not going to leave that table.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that's a practical example. That's very helpful. Mm And just how that works in your marriage. Um, I read this quote a lot, and maybe I read it in your last podcast. That was episode 237, listeners, if you want to listen to Preston's earlier podcast. But a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from the heart, wounded about, wounded by the suffering about he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. And that is one of the gifts, um, Preston. And Taryn is, you're both wounded healers. We know more about Preston's story right now, but um, I think, you know, you're 30 now. If I could get you on the podcast when you're 60, I'll be 90. <laughs> I think, you know, you'll have kids. You could have grandkids by then. Is that right? Yeah, in 30 years you could be grandparents. Good. How's that sound? You hate that idea? In, <laughs> in, in 50 years, you're going to have, or 60 years, you're going to have one of those big pictures where you two are going to be in the middle and this posterity and and there have and you'll be able to tell kind of the rest of the story about I think one of the gifts to your posterity is vulnerability, trust, being honest, and pointing everything back to the doctrine of Christ to find a way forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, so this fine. is yeah, not, well summarized. <laughs> this is not theoretical, like I'm gonna to go to a class and then mm-hmm. this is like, okay, we've had to do this in real life. Mm-hmm. We've had to do it young and yeah. we've had to learn this, and now. I think that's one of your gifts to your posterity, to podcast listeners, to people that are going to read your book, to people that are listening to your podcast with Sky, is just your ability to heal other people. And it's a great blessing in your life to be the wounded healer. Elder Holland's kind of the wounded healer when he talks about his mental health. Mm -hmm. My love and respect for Elder Holland when he's vulnerable just goes up. I pray for him even more because he's real.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) And I can relate to him because he's honest. So. Any concluding thoughts from either of you?
1: I don't actually, you summed that up yeah. very well there, <laughs> you what did. you just said. Again, just coming back to Christ, mm-hmm. we, we individually had to find him before we could find each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Those of you that are considering mixed orientation marriages are in them. I think the principles this podcast will help you. Um, those of you that have People in your lives that are in mixed orientation marriages, um, I hope the things that you've learned from Preston and Taryn will help you love these couples more and just see them as married couples, <laughs> um, covenant keeping couples, and not sort of look over their shoulder wondering if it's going to work out or not. Let's don't do that. Let's just everybody that's <laughs> let's, let's just support everybody and not try to figure out how it's all working or not working or you know. Let's just love everybody, support each other. If they've gone into a marriage, let's do everything we can to support them, any marriage. Um, and that's what I think we're asked to do as disciples of Christ. So once again, we'll li- we'll link to the Amazon um, link. That's like a double thing. <laughs> Say that twice so that you can buy Preston's book. There's And leave a review on Amazon. There's about 20 reviews. They're all terrific. So leave a review so more people connect with it, share this book. We'll also link to the podcast's Um I think it's called sit down with sky and Preston. Mm-hmm. Correct. And, um, I don't know if Amanda's ever on the podcast or Taryn's ever on the podcast Actually, or if it's just you two men
1: ne- next episode. We're going to Taryn's finally agreed to yeah. come on. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. good. So. And, Amanda. and Amanda. Yep.
0: Um, that's a great podcast. So we'll listen, we'll link to that podcast and so you hear more stories. And just, I think our prayers that you'll act on the impressions. Um, In your story, author your own story, write your own story, and hopefully this real-life example of healing and writing your own story will be helpful to you and the people you love. So this is Richard Oster signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.